welcome to Fast Talk. We have a special episode today. We're just sitting down with the guys from the Pros Closet, Spencer Powelson, Bruce Lynn. We worked with them on a little project, a Strava PR challenge, and we wanted to get them on the show to talk about how it went, how they trained, how we helped them, how we may have hurt them, um, and uh, yeah, talk about the greater context of finding new ways to stay motivated in this strange world we live in. So welcome to the program, Spencer and Bruce. Hey there. Hi. Hey guys, good to talk with you again. Oh yeah, Trevor's here too. <laughs> I'm not quite in the tundra of Canada, but I'm up in Canada. Yeah, we're we're recording from four different locations right now. Hopefully it all goes smoothly. So tell us guys a little bit about the the origin story here. Desperate times call for desperate measures, or maybe more appropriately, these strange times call for new challenges. We can't race our bikes, need to stay motivated. Uh, how'd you come up with this PR challenge? So Spencer and I originally this year, we were planning to do two pretty big races together. I'll call it DK. We're going to do DK and we were going to do Downeyville. Those both got canceled from March on lost all motivation to train and ride and just was really looking for a reason to get back on my bike. And what happened was I just started looking through Strava and was looking at, you know, a lot of my old PRs. And I was seeing that I set a lot of them in 2014 and 2015 when I was probably about 20 pounds lighter. And I started wondering like, will I ever be able to beat any of these PRs? And so that sort of started this thing with Spencer where we were like, Hey, Let's go, you know, we're not racing. Let's go and just use Strava and set a goal and train for it and see what happens. Nice, tidy little plan. Helps you get motivated. It's a safe way to get out there, really. You know, and group ride, even group rides have been shut down. How'd you pick the actual segments that um, you ended up picking? I actually chose mine, Chapman, here in Boulder, because... Several years ago, when I got my first gravel bike and the guys at the pros closet took me on my first gravel ride, that was the first like gravel ride I ever did was up Chapman. Sentimental value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then also the guys at the pros closet, a lot of them are really fast. They would, you know, take me up Chapman and explode me. So I definitely thought, Hey, if I'm by myself, I'd, I'd never ridden it by myself. If I'm by myself, maybe I've got a shot of like dictating my own pace and maybe beating these PRs that I set in these group rides. And, and Spencer, how did you pick the segment that you picked? What was it and, and how'd you get there? I decided to do my PR challenge on uh, Sunshine Canyon. Practically speaking, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do uh, a gravel segment because Bruce was already going to do one. It seemed like we should have a mix. We should have one road and one gravel. I looked at the different climbs around Boulder and the trouble is I've, I've been riding around here for a long time, you know, even before Strava started. So I, I've had many, many times going up these climbs and eh, I'm not sure if I'll ever quite be as fast on that sort of effort as I once was like maybe five years ago or so. Um, 
So I sort of had to pick one that maybe I'd never really tried to ride as fast as possible. So for instance, you know, something like Flagstaff was kind of out of the question. Right. I knew my time on that was really, really fast. And I had done it with a group, which helped. And some of the faster like sections where drafting mattered. Uh, and so like, I kind of, you know, looked around, considered some of those variables, but really like kind of, I think one of the more meaningful things about choosing Sunshine is just that uh, I'm currently and almost finished building a house at the top of the paved section of Sunshine with my wife. And um, I mean, we're not physically building it, but we're having to build it. <laughs> There's like that kind of feeling of like, okay, this is the climb to my house and um, it's kind of special like that. Also, the thing about the Sunshine Climb, we'll maybe get into that in a sec, is that it's not necessarily a pure climber's climb, which probably is good for me. Uh, I kind of get accused of being a pure climber and um, I don't think it's very accurate usually because for whatever reason, I don't know. That's not quite how I characterize myself as a yeah as a rider. If it's at all possible to do that, it's just a when you compare amateur. you to me, Spencer. You seem like a- <laughs> it's all rel- <laughs> it's all relative, right, Bruce? Yeah, yeah. Well, and also should should be said, Bruce, that you've been riding bikes seriously for what five years, maybe maybe a little longer. Okay, so right. I mean, don't be too hard on yourself because I started riding and racing bikes back when I was like. 12 or 13. So <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, like for 20, a while. 23 or 24 years. So it all adds up. Anyway, sunshine turned out to be the one that I wanted to do. Hard climb, fairly long, about, about 2000 feet of elevation gain. I forget what the specs were on the distance. I think it was like six miles, maybe. I think for both of you, it, there are some commonalities here. You picked something that you had a bit of history with. There was some <laughs> attachment to it. And I think that that is actually a good thing in itself because it added to the motivation. You might have others listening out there might have a climb in their area or a segment in their area, or you could apply this, of course, to races too. Ah, I've got the history with that race. I've always gone there. I've never done so good. I want to go back. I want to prove that I can tackle that that particular type of course or something like that. So I would say that's a, a good thing when it comes to the psychology of taking on a challenge like this is having some attachment or history with the, the segment. Exactly. I mean, personally, I would never go and spend money and time and effort to go to a race that I didn't care about or, or one that was like not interesting or, or it didn't have that sort of appeal. I mean, maybe, maybe there was a time in my career when it, or it's not a career, but maybe there was a time <laughs> when I would do that. I, I certainly did some pretty crappy cross races around the Colorado <laughs> front range over the years. Hey, I was but probably now, at them too. Yeah, and you probably beat me at them too. But <laughs> but nowadays I'm not I'm not wasting my time and effort on a race that doesn't really inspire and get me stoked. And then, you know, going back to what Bruce was saying, DK, Downeyville, two just total bucket list events. And it was a bummer that they got canceled. So yeah, we we definitely were we're happy to have something to focus on. Well, I got to give you guys credit for finding that motivator. I mean, this has been a tough year on everybody. A lot of people just kind of went, well, there, there's nothing going on. And just the, the motivation went through the floor. You guys were, were discouraged that the, the two races you were targeting didn't happen, but you quickly said, what's something else that can motivate us? And, and 
that's critical. And as Chris said, even picking climbs that you really want to get a result on helped with the motivation. I'm learning right now with myself how important that motivator is because I didn't even realize this, but what was keeping me going with my training all year was the fact that I thought Tobago was going to happen in October. And a week and a half ago, they announced that Tobago was off the calendar. And the next day I was supposed to go out and do a really hard workout and sat there and looked at the workout plan and said, well, I could do that workout or alternatively, I could sit on the couch and order a pizza. <laughs> and the second one won and I have not turned a pedal over in, in, in anger since. But what kind of pizza did you order? <laughs> uh, I think it was pepperoni, pepperoni and mushroom. Pepperoni and mushroom. I knew you were going to say that. Kind of a that. classic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass on the mushrooms, but good for you. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> two, two things I'd want to throw in here. We, we actually had a really great discussion more in the early stages of, of COVID and lockdowns with a great uh, psychologist named Julie Emmerman. If you people want to go back to episode 102, we talked about reframing and seeing things as opportunities rather than as barriers, um, coming up with these challenges for motivation. It's a great episode if you want to dig into a little bit more of the sports psychology there. Um, second question, I want to play fiction here a little bit, Trevor. We were not, no, no offense to the guys at the pros closet, but we were not invited to... Um, have our own PR challenges. This was for them. We coach them. But I want to know if you were to come up with your own PR challenge, Trevor, what segment or climb would you choose and why? My eternal climb that I, I still want to take a run at is Flagstaff. Just because my best times up Flagstaff were all before Strava existed mm. and before GPS, and it really bugs me. <laughs> That's because you've been riding bikes probably longer than a couple of us combined, yeah? Oh, thanks. What are you saying there, Chris? <laughs> you're, you're very experienced. You're a veteran. Yes. my So, you know, my best times of Flagstaff back in the 20s and 30s, you know, or <laughs> in 20s, it was great. On a penny farthing. Yep. <laughs> I had a dream one time of, of taking the, the Strava KOM. I actually did because I got on Strava really early. I had the KOM for a while. I've had this, this dream, which has been totally crushed ever since Tom Danielson did that ridiculous time. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what's, what's your segment though? Oh, what's my segment? Okay. Good question. Well, you know, to, to be sort of honest about the, all of this, Trevor and I did talk about both trying to do super flag um, PRs. Uh, the only time I've ever really um, gone after it was, well, I've gone after it several times, but really gone after it, quote unquote, trained for it, put on the tubulars, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I haven't ever really done that. So that was that was actually on my list of things to try to do this summer. It, it didn't happen. Um, I, I have a pretty fast time up at a lot of my times from back in the day too, like you, Spencer. Um, are fast, and I don't think I'll ever be that fast again. I won't be that fast again. So I would have had to, if I really wanted to actually improve a PR, I would have had to choose a little bit more obscure, obscure climb. I have a fondness in my heart for Logan Mill, which would be hard to to get a PR for, but um, that's a great climb for those not familiar with it. Dirt narrow gets way up into the hills kind of feels remote up there 
steep, chunky gravel at times when it's the certain time of year. So, yeah, I like I like uh, mixed terrain type climbs. That would be my go to. I think. Let's go back to this premise here. You picked a segment. Then we wanted to understand its demands, and and we'll talk about those. That's when you engaged with us to work with you and train for those demands. And then, obviously, you set a date and said, let's go out and try to crush it. To go back to you, Bruce, what were some of the demands of your particular segment? It was actually really good that I talked to you guys because my plan was a lot simpler. I was just going to go and try to ride really hard. But... You guys sort of encouraged me to look at the terrain a little more. Chapman has, what, what did you call them water bars, yeah, Spencer? Yeah, water bars. Yeah. So it has these like undulating sections, I guess, to divert water and uh, prevent erosion. But they're like these big mounds that you ride over. And I have never really thought about them until I talked to you guys and you guys told me to attack those little water bars, right? And... Yeah. I will say like the first time I tried to ride Chapman after, you know, being, you know, coming right off the couch, pretty much trying to attack those was, it wasn't going to happen. The main thing that I needed to work on was really just being able to put in hard efforts, recover, and then repeat. And really I just needed to do that up until, uh, let's say maybe two thirds of the way up, the grade really levels out. So I just needed to survive through that, get to where it levels out and just sort of sprint to the finish. I'm not the type of rider who's really good at going, let's say above threshold and recovering. I'm really a lot better at just riding at threshold for X amount of time, like a really long time. So I really had to sort of work on that aspect of my fitness and then also one thing, because I think Trevor, you just told me to just ride it every weekend, something like that. Yeah. So we like, said, we, we gave you a workout, said basically your two intensities were one, a workout to work on that going above threshold and really hurting yourself. And the other one was go pace yourself on the actual climb, go in, and time trial it essentially. What I did is I, I basically just rode it once every weekend uh, up until I actually made my attempt. And I actually realized that I had never really paid attention, but there is like a smooth line in the gravel. And, you know, me being like, whatever, I don't think very hard when I'm riding. I, I just stayed <laughs> on the right side of the, yeah, of the road. Yeah, sure. But there's a smooth line that sort of snakes up it. I'm like, oh, I, sh- I should be staying out of like this section that's all deep and with the big chunky rocks. I should be on the smooth part. So that's something I just, I, you know. I really just didn't think about that until I had ridden it a couple of times and being like, what am I doing? The other thing was really just figuring out the pacing. Like I said, I'd ridden it with a lot faster riders and I just blew up in the first half every time. And when I was riding by myself, what you know became really obvious is that I needed to go a lot easier in the first half and save a lot more energy for the second half where the grade sort of eases off and really try to make up more time in that last half of the climb. Familiarity with a climb is really, can, can make a huge difference in how you pace yourself. Going out and sort of doing a recon on a climb like that where you it dawned on you, hey, I should actually ride around some of these 
chunkier areas, my the rolling resistance will be less if I choose this better line. And maybe if you hadn't ever ridden the climb before, you just bar barge your way through all that garbage and it would slow you down. So familiarity familiarity is a, is a can be a, quite an advantage. And when I was riding with other people, hurting myself trying to keep up with them, I wouldn't have like the mental capacity to really pay attention. I would just be trying to, you know, I'd have my head down just trying to ride. And scouting it out on my own, that's like the first time I really just looked around at what I was riding on. So you're actually pointing out something that's one of those little subtle tricks you can use in racing, especially if you're going up something like Chapman that a lot of people don't think about. You, you always think, well, I don't want to be the guy at the front on a climb because then I'm, I'm doing more work. Uh, I'd rather be sitting on wheels. But in something like Chapman, if I was racing people, I would often rather be on the front where I can see those lines, make sure I'm going through the, the best terrain and hopefully force the people I'm racing to, to ride in the looser part, the not so good part. Yep, absolutely. That pertains to, um, you know, other disciplines to some sections of a cyclocross race or mountain bike race where you want to get on the front. It might be uh, counterintuitive, I guess, in a way, uh, to be on the front, but driving the pace, being able to choose the line, the cleaner line can certainly be an advantage at times. Do we want to talk about Trevor Bruce's training now, or do we want to talk talk about the demands of Spencer's climb? Well, I actually want to ask one question. So let me, uh, yeah, you brought this up. So Bruce, you, you were just talking about the pacing and actually you in real time learned the importance of that pacing, because as I remember, you did set your PR, but it was not in the actual attempt. Yeah, that's right. So in the actual attempt, I got pretty excited and I did go out a little harder than I planned to go. And then um, just in a different time, I was riding with my, I was just riding with, a, we call him Cousin Steve. Uh, he's not my actual cousin, but we're both <laughs> and uh, it, it's just, it's just a thing. Someone asked one day, is he your cousin? And I said, yeah, sure. And, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But, uh, I ride with him a lot and we're, we're pretty, uh, fitness wise, we're pretty close. And it was just like, sort of like a fun day ride. So I, I didn't go out like super hard in the start. I was kind of just stuck with him. And my whole plan was I'm going to drop you when we get to that part where the gravy is off. So I'm just going to chill and then I'm just going to smash it and I'm going to drop you. And basically it ended up being like, the ideal pacing plan because I did set a faster time than I ended up setting during my actual attempt. And so I think there is for me probably more time to be gained, just being more disciplined with my pacing. So this is an old expression, but they say the three rules of time trialing are start out slow, start out slow, start out slow. Definitely it mentally it, it was hard because before you know, we had uh, our, our camera guy there filming me. So before I actually did the attempt, I actually, you know, felt nervous. Like, you know, it's not a real, it's not a race, it's it's Strava. But so, somehow I had like put effort into it. I had like told people I was doing it. So I had like something at stake and I felt nervous. And I think that nervousness made me go out harder than I wanted and mm -hmm. I shouldn't go on. So just what happened. That is not uncommon. 
No, not at all. I still remember many years ago doing the Colorado State Time Trial Championships, which is a, a 40K time trial. And I started out, you know, I, I've learned that lesson to don't kill yourself at the start, but I still was going at a pretty good clip uh, off the start line. And I was maybe a mile and a half, two miles into the race when the guy who started behind me passed me. And I just watched him blow by me and said, he's either going to win this race or he is killing, like he, he's in trouble. And he got out of sight. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, I caught him back in view, passed him, and I ended up beating him by like five, six minutes. He absolutely blew up. He's He won it the following year once he learned how to pace, but he knew he was strong enough to win and was just so nervous, so excited. He just went out and basically did a 10-minute time trial at the start of a 40K. And I have a similar experience. Um, I'm not sure what the, the lesson is, is basically the same. Don't go out too hard. I did the hour record. Um, this is the perhaps ultimate time trial and pacing is very critical, not only because it's an hour long, pretty demanding effort. Uh, you're dealing with the forces of the track, uh, fixed gear, etc. And I had a pacing schedule. And I got super excited and I went out and I was not off of that pacing schedule or under that pacing schedule by much. We're talking tenths of a second per lap, maybe sometimes a, a full second or a little bit more than that, but it, not astronomically large amounts of time. But, but... <laughs> that's going out too fast in an hour record, especially in someone who, you know, has very little experience in the hour record. I had never done it before. Um, it caught up to me in a violent, awful way. Um, and the second half of that uh, hour was utterly brutal. Um, so, again, not highly applicable, maybe, because not everybody's going to go out and do an hour record, but the same principles apply. Go out slow, go out slow, go out slow. And if you can, in the second half, and half an hour is a long time. So maybe not the second half, but the final quarter perhaps is when that's when you say, okay, I've made it through the really hard part. Now there's not that much longer. I can lift it a little bit here. And, and then that's a safer safer way to do it and, and ultimately a, a, a sounder way to pace yourself. Trevor, I want to know a little bit more about the, you know, given the demands of Bruce's effort, how did you suggest he trained? What were those two workouts that you suggested he do? Well, so first of all, this is important context for the rest of the conversation, which is we spoke with both of you about six weeks before you made your attempt. So we knew there was not going to be any sort of dramatic fundamental shift in your form that at this point it was it was mostly fine tuning and just seeing if we could eke a little more out of you and it's also why i recommended to both of you go and and time trial your courses and learn it because the some of the biggest gains you can get in time are just getting familiar with the course that you're going to race so when we talked with you we recognized bruce that you're like me you're a time trial style rider 
and those water bars are something that really mess you up. They certainly mess me up when I go up that climb because you just want to go steady. You want to get into your mode and just hold a, a, a consistent wattage. And when you hit those water bars, you have to put out the power to go over them. Uh, so you have to go over threshold and then you have a little downhill on the other side and it just messes up your rhythm. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've seen this, Chris and I have raced up it a few times and we usually hold pretty even until we get to those water bars, but I'm the time trial type. Chris is the climber type who likes those variations in pace. And when we hit those water bars, he just rides away from me. So new for you to improve your time, you need to get comfortable with that high intensity above threshold effort um, to be able to get over those and then keep time trialing. So the workout that I gave you because it, it produces results pretty quickly, it was a sprint workout. Yeah, it was uh, eight, by, eight by 20, right? Yep. Yeah. And how many you times know. did you curse my name when you did this workout? <laughs> During it, none, because I just was in pain. But <laughs> uh, what's funny is uh, I kind of, you know, had been off the bike for so long. Uh, you had told me the 20 seconds to go all out. And I'd kind of forgotten what going all out felt like. Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I did the workout, I was like, was that actually all out? I like wasn't sure. And then like three reps later, I was like, oh, I can go harder and harder and harder until I was just like, okay, this is all out. I am like wasting myself. So <laughs> that was an interesting experience. So, I mean, there are physiological adaptations that happen with that workout, but a big part of it for me was actually just teaching you to deal with that sort of pain because time trialers like you and I, we don't like that sort of intense above threshold pain and, and somewhat avoid it. And to get over those water bars, you, you needed to get, go through it a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the being familiar with the climb is an advantage and being familiar with that type of effort is also an advantage. It helps you wrap your head around the fact that you can do it and you can repeat it. And that variability isn't something, um, maybe as, uh, as difficult to deal with as you once thought. But I, I will admit, I, I felt so bad giving you that sprint workout that a week later, I went and did it uh, a couple times myself. So kind of you, Trevor. <laughs> just, just for sympathy. <laughs> nice. I, I, did, I did really appreciate that workout because, you know, um, with my schedule, it's, it's really hard to get out and ride yeah. for like longer than an hour. And it actually was really easy for me to do that workout in say like a one hour lunch ride. I would, you know, because the, the workout itself would take say 20 minutes. I'd have, I don't know, so enough time to get to a climb to do it on, do it and then get home. So it actually really worked with my life currently, which was really good. If our listeners are wondering, it's, it's a, so one set is eight sprints, 20 seconds. I recommend doing it on a climb. That's as much for safety as anything else, because you, you don't want to, when you're dealing with cars, be all out sprinting on flats where you actually get up to a really good speed. Um, so you, you do the 20 second sprint and then you basically don't pedal for two minutes. Then you do your next sprint. 
and, and every time you're just trying to hit the biggest wattage you've ever hit and uh, go as hard as you can go. And, and they do hurt. If you're doing them right, you get to the end of that sprint and you're gasping for air. Yeah, 20 seconds ends up feeling like a really long time. Why don't we take a step back and turn it over to Spencer to describe the demands of the sunshine climb as he understood them. And perhaps we helped you understand some of those demands. Definitely. The uh, sunshine climb is, is, is an interesting climb because there's kind of a first half and a second half, which are fairly different from each other. Uh, it's about half an hour. I was aiming to get under 27 minutes and uh, it is pretty evenly split where the first part is really proper climbing where you have a, pr a pretty steady gradient up the drainage and then you start to switch back a little, you have a slight rest, but then you are really at the limit going up the wall, so to speak, is what it's called. And it's very steep and extended, exposed. And uh, but then after that, it's not quite like the type of thing that a pure climber would prefer because you have some undulations and some short descents and um, the, the, the climbing that remains, there are some steep pitches, but they're pretty short. They're not, um, you know, I can't imagine any of them take, take more than a few minutes uh, and then it's a bit of a grind to the end. So it's sort of um, a pacing trick where you have to, you have to find a way to keep something left in the tank for the last half because those undulations and the slight downhills definitely can be good places to, to gain time and pick up speed um, versus going like slightly harder and slightly faster on the very steepest part. So uh, it was, it's just a complicated climb, um, which makes it interesting and pretty, pretty cool. And I feel like you guys definitely uh, reinforced that when we discussed it and um, it, it definitely kind of confirmed what I was sort of expecting would be the crux of it is that that sense of like, you know, you know, splitting it up and, and then knowing where you're going to need to put in the biggest efforts. One of the things that really stuck with me when Trevor and I did our study of climbing, our experiment where he and I, and we invited Sepp Kuss at the time he was riding for rally before he became a world tour star, but he was still very talented and very fast. We recruited him, did a whole different um, series of tests up these climbs. And one of the things that we noticed, and one of the things that we concluded from all of that was, you could put in 50 watts extra on a really steep pitch of a climb, which would make you go a half a mile per hour faster or you could settle into a solid but not overly aggressive pace on those steep parts, wait until the climb began to crest, then put in 50 watts extra or more, and because the gradient was less, see your speed rise by two, five, six, eight miles per hour, whatever the case may be. So pacing on an undulating climb like that takes some discipline. You need, to, you need to actually hold back a bit on the hardest parts so that when it eases up, you can really take advantage of some of the, the um, 
strength and power that you have saved up to maximize speed because it's really all about getting up the thing fastest. It's not about wasting a whole bunch of effort on really steep parts and then uh, noodling along and recovering on the, the flat parts or the descents. And, totally. and sunshine at the top is quite exposed because of old fires, so the wind can be a factor. And if you're fighting the wind up there with nothing left in the tank, it's really frustrating, um, and you're going to be crawling. So, Totally. And I remember when you did that uh, project with SEP, we were discussing it, and in my mind, that was it really struck me as like an old cross-country ski racer's uh, pacing strategy and I did race cross-country skiing in college and accepted as a younger uh, athlete where there's so much friction in that sport with the skis on the snow that if you're overcoming that friction to really accelerate through the crest of a hill onto a descent it's far more impactful than the effort you put in on the steepest part of the climb and there's still friction in riding bikes and there's still wind resistance that that play into that so um, yeah, I, I remember us discussing that. It's, it's a sort of a, one of those tricks that it maybe doesn't make as much sense if you're riding in a mass start race with a group because um, you try and like put people in the box on the hardest sections usually. Yeah. But if you're time trialing, well, then it's kind of totally anything's fair game in terms of getting from point A to point B as fast as possible. So even in a race, when I was living full time in Toronto, there was a, a weekend race that we would go do or kind of group ride that would turn into a race that we would go do north of Toronto that was on these all these short kind of one, two minute steep climbs that tended to have a downhill on the other side. And I was trying to explain this concept to people that you actually don't gain that much by hitting those short, steep climbs really hard. You get the gains coming over the top. And so I would get into the habit of letting them take that second or two out of me on the steep climb, not giving it my all. But as we crested, that's where I would put in my attack and go really hard. And I'd keep breaking away and putting a ton of time into them because they were so gassed from hitting that, that hill hard. They, they would drop down to 150 watts coming over the top and I'd just ride away. And I still remember trying to explain this to a guy and he was very irate with me and said, no, you're just racing it wrong, Trevor. <laughs> you're not raising it the way you're supposed to. And I'm like, am I getting away from you? Well, yeah, but that's because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. And I mean, even in the biggest races in the world, like that's exactly how Soren Craig Anderson got away in the final kilometers of stage 14 of the tour last weekend, just accelerating over the top of a hill. And it's just such a, such a canny, smart move to do that a lot of people just say that it's, it's sort of, it's a disconnect. You just assume the climb is where you have to attack. Yeah. For those of you listening that want to go back and hear more about uh, all the, the science of climbing, as we called it, that episode is number 36 in the Wayback Machine. You have to go to get to that one. So what were the, the given those demands of the Sunshine Climb, what were this is for you and Trevor? What was the what was the training that we prescribed here? Sure, the, uh, the main thing that Trevor started me out on were uh, over unders, um, and I'll, I'll let him describe it. 
you'll probably have a clear picture of what that means. But he also suggested perhaps mixing in some Tabata efforts as well, which um, I did that in like one of the final training weeks I had. So uh, I don't know, Trevor, why don't you take it away? Because you, it's a very complex workout. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not no, sure. We've actually had it on the show before. So I got to oh, give good. full credit. Uh, it was Evan Hoffman who gave us this exact protocol. Uh, I, I really like over-unders. I have a bunch, but I went out and tried his and, and I think they're just fantastic. Uh, and they're really designed for climbing. So he has these, uh, the full workout that he does, which I rarely give to anybody, is uh, basically four sets of about uh, 15 minutes. And the first one is just a 15-minute sweet spot effort, which I don't even think I gave to you. You did, um, but I just skipped it because yeah. I didn't have the time for it. And I, so, skip that sweet spot. And which is usually what I don't give to people. The yeah. second one is alternating between two minutes uh, a little above threshold, three minutes below threshold. So you, you do that for 15 minutes. So it's three repeats. Uh, the next set is one minute above threshold three minutes below threshold, but that one minute is really hard. And, and all these below thresholds are just below, like 95%, 90, you know, even 97%, like getting pretty close. Uh, so that one you repeat four times. So it's actually a 16 minute set. Uh, and then the final set is just mean. It's uh, 10 second sprints with one minute recoveries. Uh, and I usually prescribe 12 of them, but I, I rarely personally even make it to full 12. This is one of those workouts that if you can put it onto your head unit, that's great. If you don't have such capabilities, you probably want to write it out and tape it to your stem or top tube because it is a little yeah. bit complicated and you get cross-eyed and you get forgetful. And if you want, you know, obviously you can sort of uh, you don't have to be so exact with the times of things, but yeah, it does get a little complicated. It's it's um, interesting because we often talk on the show about how sometimes the complicated stuff is complicated for no good reason, but you do like this workout, Trevor. Um, explain why. Well, Evan's design for it was this simulates a bike race. So if you have a, a hilly race or a hilly course with multiple climbs, you take the first one steady. The second one, you'll start having some attacks, so you'll you'll have to to go a little harder. But nobody's really killing it. It's those final two climbs. So the the second one where you have guys, or the third one where guys are going to try to break away, and the last one, if it's a hilltop finish, is where it just gets silly and, and people start sprinting. Uh, so that's the the concept. Is it's simulating what you would experience in a race. Um, you know, in, in Spencer's case, I really liked it for him because not so much the hard efforts, but actually the unders because of what we were talking about. He is necessarily on those steep parts on, on Sunshine. They are so steep. He, you're you're going to go over threshold. Uh, but where you're going to gain or lose time is when you get to the top of that steep part and it's either flat or sometimes downhill is trying to keep the pressure on. So immediately going back to threshold or just below threshold uh, and holding that tempo until you hit the next steep part. 
So that's what I was really working on is the, you know, many of us can do a two minute hard effort, but then immediately we drop down to hundred Watts and have to recover. What I, I wanted to have him work on is the being above threshold and then immediately dropping down to 96, 97% of threshold. And you also had him do some Tabatas. Do you want to describe the workout and maybe the explanation of why they're an important component here? So 30-30s, I can hear Sebastian Weber shaking his head at me right now. <laughs> when people talk about your VO2 max power, one of the, the really good workouts to, to improve VO2 max power is 30-30s. Uh, and I felt that's an important energy system for the nature of uh, the, the sunshine climb. So I felt just giving that system a bit of a hit uh, would help. And plus, same thing, you know, we're getting pretty close. We weren't going to produce huge physiological changes. With you, it was more just, A, getting you familiar with the climb and the demands of the climb, and also getting you familiar with the sort of pain you're going to go through. And since I felt towards the end, there's going to be some of those above threshold, really painful efforts, uh, giving you the 30-30s and getting you familiar with that sort of pain would help. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm experienced with those too. I used to do Tabatas quite a bit when I was more into racing cyclocross. And um, I'd also done the, I'd also done the, the, the over-unders before in different contexts. And um, those are, yeah, those are, those are really challenging, but I, I do, I kind of like them because there's so much going on and there's so many different efforts that you don't kind of get this I don't know. Sometimes for me, it's, it's kind of mind numbing or, or like it's too intimidating to look ahead and see a, you know, a schedule of four or 15 minute threshold efforts where you're just kind of like going to just be slogging along. Whereas this is sort of every time you have a little bit of a variation on it, even though they're hard, they kind of do go by a little quicker because there's just a lot of things happening. I won't lie. So Chris was asking me why I like this particular workout. I, I think it has a lot of benefits, but part of it is I, I agree with you. I think it's fun. You, you, you do close to an hour of hard work, but by the end of it, you're like, Hey, I kind of enjoyed that. It's really challenging to like staying in the correct power zone. Certainly it's a cumulative effect thing where the first time I did them, I got into the sprints at the end and I wasn't able to, achieve the power that I was supposed to for those efforts. And it was pretty obvious that that went back to some of the first or second sets where on the, you know, on, on, the, I forget whether it was the over or the under part, but one of the two, maybe both, I was over higher than I should have been with my power. And that, that gets back, it comes back to bite you in the end. Yep, exactly. And this is a good workout for teaching you to tolerate that to be able to put yourself again through that, that sort of pain. So we heard about Bruce's effort and he set a PR the day of his attempt. He then set an even better time when he rode with his quote unquote cousin. Um, Spencer, did you, what did you do? You went out and crushed it, huh? Yeah. So I, I was pretty surprised by how much I beat my, um, my previous PR on Strava by it was, it was a fair bit. I, I was, you know, over a minute faster than I expected to be. And, and, uh, the pacing was good. It was a little hot. I think the heat might've slowed me down slightly, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised and certainly the lead up to the PR attempt wasn't super smooth. So um, considering all that, yeah, definitely did, did about as well as I could hope to. So I was happy about that. All right. For those listening out there from you guys that have taken on this PR challenge, all of us, why don't we talk a little bit about what, how do you treat quote unquote race day, this day when you make your attempt? What, what should you focus on? Bruce, you, you mentioned a couple things already, but walk us through the things that you really um, did well on race day and maybe some mistakes that you made. Well, so one thing I did, and this isn't really a training related thing, but I changed the tires I had. I, uh, you know, I'd been spending some time on a, that bicycle rolling resistance website. So I got some of those, uh, Panaracer gravel King slick tires and put them on and they're awful for going down Chapman. <laughs> just, uh, just with the construction right now, you, I, I kind of had to go up Flagstaff and down Chapman to be able to ride up it. But for riding up, it made my bike definitely feel significantly faster. And definitely I was really happy that I changed out my tires. I had some, uh, I forget what they were. There were, there were some big honking like 45 millimeter. Chunky things. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely a good choice. I think, um, definitely, uh, I tried to, uh, get my sleep, you know, I've, I have a 20 month old kid sleeps like kind of not a thing for me right now, but in like the days leading up to when I was supposed to be filmed doing the attempt, I tried to get like a few days of good sleep. You know, I made sort of a deal with my wife, like, uh, <laughs> you know, in exchange for doing other things later in the week, you know, she would take him when he woke up at like four in the morning or this is not uncommon either to hear from uh, people in the cycling world. Let's make a deal. Yeah. I'll yep. do this if you let me do this. If you let me get away this weekend and go to this silly race, I will take out the trash for the rest of the year type thing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, that, that definitely helped because uh, when I don't get sleep, I, I am a shell of a human. So <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Um, but as far as mistakes, I, you know, I talked to a Spencer about this after the fact that, you know, I did change some things that I probably shouldn't have changed. And one of them was I ditched, uh, my water. Mm, yes. <laughs> to and to water bottle or not to water bottle. That is yeah, the question um, on race day. Yeah. And it was like, I had been talking with our CEO, uh, Nick, Nick Martin, and he's like an old school racer. And he was talking about, yeah, I just ditch your water and lose like the, the weight, the extra weight on your bike. So yeah, sure. I'll do that. And this is the other mistake I made the day I did it. It was like 90 some degrees mm. and it just, it just resulted in a lot of suffering, undue suffering, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So either I would have, I should have kept my water or I should have picked a cooler time to do it. Um, right. Definitely, those are the biggest things I, I think of when I think back. Yeah, what Spencer, what about you? Race day, how, what went well, what didn't go well? What would you do differently? Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, similar to what Bruce was saying, and I think I just mentioned it, just, it was a little hot on the day that I went for the PR. And uh, yes, I mean, 
if you're planning to, to have it filmed by people and it's like this whole thing, then obviously you're not going to just change your time or date last minute. But if someone is out there trying to do this just on their own, yeah, you, you want to try and look for the cool weather day. And even if it is in the morning, man, sometimes climb like this one gets a lot of morning sun. So it's hot that time of the day. Um, the, Did you put yeah, on tubulars? Like, I don't, I don't have tubulars. No. I don't have any tubulars. Um, I I don't I don't really like going sort of to the. I don't like going to extremes for the day of the race or performance or whatever. I it makes me like too feel too like pressured and stressed, and and it also makes me feel like it's almost okay. You know. As, Maybe is it shouldn't shouldn't it be my preparation and training that's going to make the difference, not the fact that I didn't put a water bottle on my bike, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Where yep. that confidence of just knowing you're good enough as is, and you don't have to totally, you know, go to all those great links. I, I yeah, I mean, maybe I probably should have taken my saddlebag off. That probably wouldn't have been a bad. Yeah, <laughs> couple <laughs> seconds maybe. People, yeah, enough people out there that I would have been fine if I'd gotten a flat. Um, so that's you know something but just that's just a personal preference where i don't like that feeling i like it to just feel like it it does all the time just be normal and just not not feel like oh this this skin suit fits really weird i'm not used to wearing this or 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 the yeah tubulars like they handle different and like the 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 brake feel is different or the, the the cassette has like something about there's all sorts of a lot of things that happen and i guess if you're really really serious and you have these tools that you're at your disposal and you 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 would take them and then you train with them and practice with them so you get accustomed to them so it's not like such a big deal when you switch over like that yeah so for me yeah not a ton of crazy preparation um i think yeah hydration is important certainly i did not leave my bottle at the bottom of the climb <laughs> um pre-hydration i think is really important where you're drinking some some scratch or other um electrolyte mix the day before in the morning of this isn't like a super long effort but it can't hurt definitely longer races that i've done dk or like gravel races i am very very diligent about hydration in the days beforehand um and that's like something you can do without spending thousands of dollars on tubular, yeah. tubular tires you know um and uh yeah just kind of being relaxed about it not, not trying to turn it into something more than it is yeah probably the biggest thing i think one of the things you guys um had at, uh to your i don't know if it's an advantage but the the segments were very clear there was a you know you knew where they started you knew where they they ended I think, you know, for those who are going to take it somewhat seriously and, and give it a give it a go on a, a particular Strava seg- segment, knowing exactly where that segment starts and ends, if you're not totally familiar with it, um, can be significant because you don't want to stop and linger right at where the GPS mark ends because then it might think you haven't actually completed the segment or there might be some glitches in the system. I think Trevor, you've dealt with that on your flat, your current flagstaff listing on Strava. Wasn't it something where you went to the top and hung out and, and, um, 
it was close enough to the to the mark that it just kept recording your time as if you hadn't finished the segment, stuff like that? Yeah, I had that there because uh, I didn't know you go all the way to the mailboxes and I stopped before the mailboxes. So it added a minute. Uh, we Come on, actually... Trevor, the segment's called to the mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty obvious you go to the mailbox. Fair. <laughs> Chris and I experienced that last year on Sunshine. So what's my fastest recorded time on Sunshine is actually my slowest time on Strava uh, because we were doing, so they actually had a sunshine hill climb race that Chris and I went to. And the registration area was like three feet into the segment. So Chris and I went and registered, then we sat around on the grass waiting for the race to, to start, then we went and lined up and, and lining up was also still within the, the segment. And then we raced. And so I was thinking, oh, okay, I'm gonna have this great time up sunshine. And my time was like an hour 10. Yeah. Yeah, the GPS is always wonky. So when in doubt, you just start start early and finish late just yep. to make sure. And and also like if you have Strava Premium, you it's it's pretty it's pretty helpful that you can you can put the segment you star the segments i guess mm, and then right. they will show up on your head unit provided you've got the head unit that's capable of it and it'll give you your splits pretty much where it will show you how fast you're going and i mean again it's 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 subject to some of the vagaries of gps technology but i, I certainly use that when i was training to kind of pace the lower section for instance where i was like i wanted to know what it would feel like to do it not too fast, but not too slow. And then, but I didn't do it for the actual um, challenge attempt just because, I don't know, I figured I'd keep it, you know, keep it more exciting that way. Yeah, yeah. and actually on that subject, uh, I did something, Trevor, I think you mentioned this. Uh, when I actually did my attempt, I didn't have power, heart rate, anything. I'm, I, I just had cadence. So you did it by feel. Yeah. For me, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person, I get into my own head a lot and I just didn't want to have those numbers sort of just, I don't know, affecting me emotionally or whatever. Just, I just wanted to make sure I was completely focused on just suffering. So <laughs> on, yeah. And on the other hand, I, I did have my power on my head unit, um, not, not the segment splits, but just the power and for me, I did that because I knew it would be pretty easy to go harder than I should through for the first half, like we had been talking about earlier. And sure enough, I kept an eye on it and realized I was like, hey, this is going to be too much right here. So I definitely paced a little bit based on what I was seeing on my readout. Um, <laughs> I did, however, not uh, calibrate my power meter in the morning. So there you go. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it uh, was something. But, you know, I was in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah. That is one of the many issues of trying to pace yourself by power without listening to to how your body feels when you're doing a time trial. For sure, and uh, I definitely have a pretty keen sense of my where I'm at with my effort. So that was the first sort of gauge. But then the backup gauge was the power meter. 
Excellent. Well, congratulations, guys, again. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since you set these, I know, but uh, you did you did a great job. And we didn't even talk about the fact that your your boss, CEO Nick Martin, went out off the couch, literally off the couch, um, <laughs> uh, without really any training as far as I know, and, and also set a PR on a pretty challenging segment called, what was that, Rowena? Um, yeah. So that, for those who don't know, is a... Uh, really a, a, a chunky gravel section um, in the hills. It's an old mining trail. Old mining trail above boulders. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were psyched to have him come along. We did a three-part video series, so I don't know if any of your listeners follow us on YouTube or if they check out our blog on theprosecloset.com, but they can watch our progression and train and finally the day of the, the PR challenge itself. So... That's all out there on the internet. Excellent. Hope to work with you guys again in the future. Come up with more interesting challenges. Uh, help Bruce when he's suffering like a dog, when <laughs> Spencer drags him out on these uh, crazy rides. So <laughs> we will uh, let everybody know to follow along with some of our upcoming adventures. Yeah, thanks again for your help with this, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, this was fun. I hope we can do something like this again. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalkatfastlab.com or record a voice memo on your phone and send those questions our way. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. Find us on social. We're at Real Fast Labs and we're online at fastlabs.com. Thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.